0: Music by the great J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian himself. That is his famous crab canon. This is from an album by Giovanni Corredu. I love the instrumentation on this. You can really hear the different parts. This canon is uh, is famous justifiably because it's the same going forwards as backwards, ergo the name crab canon. And though I don't normally play Bach on a program about living composers, I thought it was appropriate to open with it welcome to relevant tones i'm seth bostead we're in the midst of a string of palindromic dates starting january 21st and going for the next 10 days all of the dates read the same backwards as forwards which you know is just kind of one of those nerdy things that people like me like and i thought hey there's an idea i'll feature composers who are using palindromes in their music Uh, which should be really fun. And then it was. (laughs) Uh, I want to start with Martha Horst. A piece called Cloud Gate. Cloud Gate refers to the great sculpture in Chicago by Anish Kapoor, better known as the Bean, which is itself, I think, a kind of visual representation of the palindrome. And Martha Horst has a, a great sketch on her website. In fact, she was kind enough to let me use it as the image for the program as a whole, in which she compares the uh, music elements to the uh, the, the Cloud Gate as a uh, musical palindrome, which I think is really, really cool. This piece for me is uh, fantastic. It's not like the Bach where you have the same exact pitches uh, or you'd play it backwards and it would sound the exact same. It's happening more in a formal sense uh, the materials musically that she's using in the beginning come back in the in the end, but they've been transformed orchestrally. And uh, she uses the orchestra, I think, in a fantastic way. This is a wonderfully colorful work. Uh, let's hear it. This is the Chicago Composers Orchestra, led by Alan Tinkham, performing Cloudgate by Martha Horst. Ooh. Some pretty fun things here happening with overtones. I love what Horst is doing in this piece. Uh, no note ever is only itself. There's always other notes within it that we call overtones. Much like in the color spectrum, uh, there's no pure blue, right? There's always some yellow, some green, etc. within the color blue. Well, it's the very same in music. And the fundamental here is C. We hear it in the piano right away at the very beginning, this low C. And then we hear an E in the piano above middle C then that E comes in in the timpani, then we hear a G, then we hear B flat, which gives it a kind of bluesy sound. These are all drawn from the harmonic series. Let's just listen to that opening one more time so you can hear what I'm talking about. everything we're hearing is an overtone of the fundamental C. Uh, this idea comes back at the end, transformed somewhat in the strings, but it's really fun for me to play the low C on my piano as I listen to the end of the piece and hear how it all works together. The piece is Cloudgate, an example of a musical palindrome. Many, many interesting things happening in that piece, not least of which is orchestration. I love the way that Horst is using the orchestra there. And the orchestra that we heard was the Chicago Composers Orchestra led by Alan Tinkham. Again, the piece Cloudgate by Martha Horst. The next work is by Ben Johnston, one of my very favorite composers, a composer who was Really interested in what we call microtonality. Here in the West, we've divided the octave into 12 parts. And so microtones or anything in between those 12 notes, there's really quite a lot of room in between those 12 notes. Many cultures hear lots of pitches in between those 12 notes. But what Johnston does with microtonality is always absolutely fascinating in my humble opinion. His music is incredibly difficult. There are string quartets that just kind of uh, specialize in playing Johnston and work very, very hard at it. One of whom is the Kepler Quartet. The seventh quartet of Ben Johnston, the second movement, palindrome eerie, is, well, an eerie palindrome, exactly what it sounds like. Uh it's a short movement, I think it's pretty easy to hear. So here's the couple of quartet to perform. <laughs> ¡Gracias! No, <sweak> no, Isn't that wonderful music? It's the Kepler Quartet, a committed performance. The piece Palindrome, Eerie by Ben Johnston. It's the second movement of his seventh string quartet. One of my absolute favorite composers. I was overjoyed to see that he had written a palindrome so I could include him on the show. I don't need much prodding uh, to include Ben Johnston. Let's turn to a piece by my friend, Frank J. O. Terry. It's called Palindrome. Uh, this is an older work for Frank. It's for solo piano. And this is a live performance. This is a very faithful rendition of a palindrome. I've listened to it several times. Let's hear Philip Che performing this piece live. Music of Frank J. Oteri. The piece is called Palindrome. It's only using seven pitches. It's so easy to get lost in that music. Wonderful music by Frank J. Oteri. We heard a live performance from Tenry in Manhattan, Philip Che at the piano. I know Philip Che is a wonderful singer, so it was quite nice to hear him performing on piano as well. Next up is a very short piece by Andrew Norman from a work of his called The Companion Guide to Rome for String Trio. The second movement, Benedetto, is a short palindrome. I'm not going to say much about it. Let's listen to it first. It can be hard to hear the palindromic form when it is uh, obscured by so many extended techniques, but it is there. The opening material and the end material have a lot in common, even though, registerally in, in, they're, they're different. They're in different instruments. Um, but nonetheless, the pitch material is very similar. And especially some of those extended techniques where you're kind of screeching on the strings, applying so much pressure, it's really a really arresting sound. That's the Benedetto, the second movement of nine short movements from the companion guide to Rome by Andrew Norman. And we heard Diana Cohen, violin, Dimitri Murath, viola, Julie Albers, cello, live performance from the Chamberfest Cleveland. Gonna go to a work now by a friend of Andrew Norman's, Ted Hearn, and the piece is called, well, it's the second movement of a larger work, but it's called Palindrome for Andrew Norman. And I'm gonna read Ted's notes here. He says, Palindrome for Andrew Norman is constructed entirely of samples lifted from other pieces of music. Each plays an important or climactic role in the piece from which it is lifted, but is used here as a single building block in the construction of a symmetrical formal structure, the palindrome. Each sample is altered from its original composition in some way. It may appear backwards or revoiced or as a canon with itself, but an element of its essential character is always preserved. Okay, let's see if you can follow it. (laughs) Here is the ensemble A Far Cry performing. This is from The Law of Mosaics. The piece is called Palindrome for Andrew Norman.
1: Thank you.
0: I do wish they'd let that last chord ring all the way until it ended naturally. For some reason, it's cut off at the end. Uh, for me, I, I think that's a, it's just a, a really wonderful part of the piece, and I want to hear it ring in that hall. That's the string ensemble, A Far Cry, performing music by Ted Hearn. It's called A Palindrome for Andrew Norman, and it's difficult to hear the palindromic form if you don't know the source material that Ted's quoting, and, and I don't. Uh, it's, I've listened to it a few times now and again it, it, even if you did know the source material, it's so obscured that, it, that it's uh, quite difficult to hear the form. There's a lot going on. It's a very very busy piece, very difficult string piece. I think A Far Cry does a wonderful job of the performance and uh, we'll trust Ted Hearn that it's a palindrome. He's a trustworthy guy. Uh, let's move on to a piece by Joseph Schwantner, Palindrome's Dance. This is a solo piano work. <laughs> Pianist Hugh Watkins performing music of Joseph Schwantner, palindrome's dance, dance like palindrome, uh, with a little easier form to hear there. I think it's a lot um, easier to hear how the, uh, the end relates to the beginning, how we're in a palindromic form. I'm going to end with a piece by Bela Bartok. So I began and ended the program with older composers, but this is one of the most famous palindromic pieces out there. It's the third movement from his wonderful masterpiece, Music for Strings, Piano, and Celesta, and I. It's in some ways typical Bartók. The form is ABCCBA, which is a a favorite. Uh, Bartók called it the arch form, kind of similar to the Bean, (laughs) the Cloud Gate sculpture uh, that I used as the image for the show today. This is a favorite pattern of Bartók's, but he crams everything in here. There's a little bit of a fugue. There's a Fibonacci sequence in the rhythms. Uh, There's so much happening in this piece and I think what's fun too is that it's bookended with a xylophone solo. The the material that becomes palindromic is stated and restated in the xylophone. At any rate, uh, here is the third movement of Bartok's Music for Strings Piano and Celesta. For Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy our palindromic dates.